Okay, well, uh, raise your hand if there's a time in your life where you said something that you wish you could take back. Raise, raise up your hand. Nice and high. Raise up your hand. Nice and high. I see a daughter being nudged by her mother like this. <laughs> I get this magazine called Mental Floss, and in the latest edition, there was a page that said 10 not entirely accurate predictions. I guarantee you these people would like to take back these words. For example, listen to this quote by uh, Western Union Internal Memo in 1876. A Western Union Internal Memo said this, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. 1876. They want to take that back. Or how about this? Who the heck wants to hear actors talk? That was Harry Warner of Warner Brothers in 1927. <laughs> Nobody wants that. He would like to take that back. Or how about this? Everyone's always asking me when Apple will come out with a cell phone. My answer is probably never. That was in the New York Times, David Pogue, 2006, one year before the debut of the iPhone. <laughs> probably never. Or how about this? Popular Mechanics in 1949 said this, Computers in the future may have only a thousand vacuum tubes and perhaps weigh only one and a half tons. <laughs> Popular Mechanics, 1949. They would like to take those quotes back. And if you're like me, there are a lot of things that you've said in life that you would like to take back because our words get us in trouble. God knows that. God wants us to learn to tame the tongue. In the book of James, we're learning about six areas that are trials in our lives. They make faith difficult. Um, and I bet by now you could help me list those. Just call out some of those six areas that we've been learning about. Go ahead. Love. Love. Time, words, words money, money, conflict, conflict sickness. There's the six. Today we're talking about words. Your words can lead you into great strife and pain. The words of others can wound you deeply. So if we are going to learn to get safely through the fire, we have to learn to tame the tongue. God wants us to get there. Our words will prove our faith is valid. Our words can disprove our faith is valid. Our words will test our faith and grow our faith. And learning to speak the truth in love, boy, that's a class that we're never done with. There's always another assignment. We're always growing. Let's pray and then we'll get into the book of James and we'll learn how to tame the tongue. Father, you long for us to speak gracious words that reflect your holiness. We pray that you would reveal to us how we can grow in this area. Lord, show us our faults and our sins. Help us to repair the damage that we've done. Help us to process the pain that others have caused us. And we ask all of this, Lord, as we look into your word, your voice into our lives, your holy scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James 3, verse 1. We'll be uh, on this topic two weeks in a row. It says this in James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able also to bridle his whole body. He starts out with a bit of a caution, and he's addressing the whole church. Uh, what we'll find here today is there'll be four different statements that we kind of lift out of the text here, and, uh, and each one of these statements has the same response from the Bible. Tame your tongue. All right, the first one is this. Jot this down. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. All right, so Mike Melody here, you're a pretty outgoing guy. I want you to just stand up and turn to everybody and say, I want to be a teacher. Go ahead. And I want everyone to look at him and say, tame the tongue. No, I mean, say it with gusto. Like, good, sit down. Sit down. I want to be a teacher. The nerve of you. You got to get that mouth under control before you're going to be a teacher. If this is you, if you're like, boy, I sure would love to teach. I sure would love. People, people should hear what I have to say. Tame the tongue. The you here is directed toward everybody in the church. Not many of you should become teachers and then it gives a reason for you know that we, so now we as the teachers, the apostles, the pastors, the shepherds, the evangelists, we who teach will be judged, it's a powerful word, with greater strictness. So you want to be a teacher. The teachers in this early church had great influence. Uh, imagine if you came here to church today and, and you didn't know how to read. Most people were illiterate back then. You know, imagine if you open the Bible right now and it was written in Russian, and you're like, I, I can't read a word of it. Uh, welcome to the early church. So imagine how dependent you would be when the church got a new letter from the Apostle Paul or when they unrolled the scroll of the book of Jeremiah. Imagine how influential the teacher would be on the people. I, I mean, I could just flat out lie about what it said or meant, and you really couldn't even go and check on that. So the people were vulnerable to bad teaching. Um, and another dynamic is this. There were some people, you know, back then, if you were literate, you were also probably wealthy and prominent and influential, okay? So there were some people in the church who could read and speak, and they thought that automatically meant they should be teaching, right? And James is like, whoa, 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 slow that down. Not many of you should be teaching because we are going to be judged with greater strictness, um, in the, in the original Greek, the word just means the judgment will be great, be great judgment. So there's an interpretation going on here saying that it will be strict, it will be, the strictness will be greater. And it is kind of alarming to think of the teachers in your church standing in judgment before God and there being possibly a great judgment waiting for them. That's a scary thought and it's supposed to be frightening. What exactly does that mean? It means that we all have to be careful with what we say, especially teachers. It says here in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we all sin, we all stumble. And listen to that word, it portrays what sin is like. Sin is like, you know, I'm going, I'm going, and then Bam, I'm flat on my face. We all stumble. And before you land, there's like this bumbling, stumbling period where you trip and look like a fool, and then down you go. And we have stumbled in many ways, but especially we have sinned, we have stumbled, we have erred in what we say. He's applying this universally to everyone because we all stumble in so many ways, and especially with the mouth, not everyone should aspire to be a teacher. That word stumbling is real to me. Um, I, get this. Pastor Mark and I 
uh, applied to get into the Chicago Marathon. They pick like one out of three people who, throw, who, who register, and we both got in. We're running the Chicago Marathon this year. All right, now listen, I found out you have to train for that. Yeah. So now I'm out running on the trails. I've been attacked by a goose. I've been attacked by a dog. And, and then I'm running the other day, last week, I'm running on the trail right along the CalSAG. And check out this picture. What was on the trail? A snake. Satan himself is trying to prevent me. And the worst part is, I'm in my head listening to the song, and I don't see it until I'm here within striking distance, and I have Animal Planet, so I know what can happen. Okay, so at that moment, I was no longer a graceful runner like a doe. I became this, like, river dancer, getting away from this snake. And he just sat there looking at me like, you idiot. I'm a suburban snake. Doesn't even know how to bite people probably some pet who's out on a walk coming back to his owner. I don't know, but the point is this. That idea of seeing someone stumble or you feeling like you're stumbling happens all the time, especially with what you say. You're just like, ah, I can't believe I just said that. And because of that, there should be this fear, this understanding that teachers will be judged with greater strictness, so you should be afraid to stand up and speak on God's behalf. What does this mean? Well, we learn here that this should alarm all of us because believers will stand in judgment. The judgment is not the heaven or hell judgment. It's the judgment for how faithful you were to the master's plan, right? And uh, how will you fare in that judgment? How will God evaluate your faithfulness? We have to be concerned about that. Teachers, though, when you stand in judgment, it's like the angels say, oh, teacher, teacher, grab the long form. You know how IRS has their forms and then their long forms? Teachers get the long form. Now understand this. The bar is not higher for teachers. The standard is the same for everyone. But the consequences for violating the standard are greater for teachers. All right? We, don't, we shouldn't make that error where we think, oh, well, because he's a teacher, he's here. I'm not a teacher, so I can be here. No. The standard is the same. It's the judgment, the scrutiny that's different for teachers. This should alarm all of us because all of our words will be called to account. John Maxwell, in one of his books, cited a study that showed on average you speak 16,000 words a day. That would fill a 300-page book each week. That would fill a bookcase every year. That would fill a library in a lifetime. So walk into a library, look around, and imagine if every book you opened included your words. What did you say? What did you say when you were a sixth grader on the playground? That's in the book. Imagine reading a library of your words, because it will happen. We'll be judged in many other ways, but our words, every word Jesus said, will be called to account. This should alarm all of us, and this should terrify me, because I get the long form. I don't even know what I said two weeks ago, but it's all being written down, and God's evaluation will be comprehensive. 
James is cautioning the church here, but he's also cautioning the teachers. Anybody in this church who teaches the youth, the children, small group, boy, we need to hear this with big ears. It's a sad day in a church when the bar is lower because you're a leader. Oh, he's a leader. And everyone's like, why is he getting away with that? How come he can say anything he wants? Well, he's a leader. The bar is lower in your church because he's a leader? That's not biblical. The standard is the same, and the leaders need to reinforce it because their judgment will be greater if they violate the standard we're all held to. Jot this down. You want to be a teacher? Guard your lips. Write that down. Guard your lips. We, we hear how the mouth gives us great evidence of spiritual maturity or immaturity. James uh, throws out this hypothetical situation here. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, okay, that describes nobody. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. But in a sense, James uses this word perfect in two ways. So he is, he is throwing out something that's not true of anyone but he's doing it so that we can learn what is true of, of people. If the person is demonstrating greater maturity, a perfecting process in their mouth, then it's true of the rest of their body. And on the flip side of that, if what you hear from the mouth is immaturity and irreverence, you can assume that the rest of the faith is undeveloped. That's what he's trying to show us. So we have to guard our lips. It's a display of maturity. And understand that teachers have the power to build up and break down the church with a special influence. Heresy, division, strife. We have to fill our small groups, we have to fill our ministries with truth, encouragement, peace. We have to avoid the voices that are filling churches with slander, backbiting, suspicion, and infighting. We have to guard our mouths. You want to be a teacher? Guard your lips. Now write this down, number two. I want God to direct me. So someone else here, we need someone else to stand up here. Anthony Grodeski, why don't you stand up and just say, I want God to direct me. Everyone say, tame your tongue. Sit down. Sit down. I want God to direct you. I want to know where he's leading. Get your mouth in order. All right? Now, James is artistic, and so what he gives us here is he gives us three pictures that illustrate what it's like to battle your mouth into submission, all right? But we can expand these pictures, and, and what we see here is we see a portrait of spiritual growth. And James picked these images because they show exactly what it's like when you want to rein in your speech, but by extension, that also shows what it's like for God to be maturing you spiritually. So we get just a lot of vivid imagery here, uh, and we can draw spiritual truths from the imagery. The first one is he describes this image of a, a wild horse. Okay, it says here in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He's just referencing something here factually that every one of them would know. If there's a wild horse out there and you just run up and jump on its back, you're going for a ride. But if you shove a piece of metal in its mouth, and then harness its face and grab the reins, it will learn to go where you direct it. So check out this picture. The idea here is a horse. You see that the bit sticking out of its mouth on the bridle around its face, on the reins that can be jerked by the person who's in control. James basically simply is saying, we put that in the mouth and we control the horse. 
Control the mouth, control the horse. Do you get the spiritual lesson he's telling you and me? Control your mouth, control the rest. But that image of a wild horse that needs to be controlled, boy, that sure describes what it feels like when you're in a trial, when you need God to direct you, and, and, and you feel like you're just, you know, galloping who knows where. And, and you want God to direct you, to, to lead you, and guess what? It starts in the mouth. Wherever else he's leading you, God wants you to watch what you're saying through every trial. I want God to direct me. Well, it starts with the, with the mouth. We go to Silver Birch Ranch every year. How many of you have been to a family camp at Silver Birch Ranch? Uh, hey, you should go sometime. It's one of the greatest family vacations you can take. And one of the funnest parts is you're out riding the horses on the trail. They don't let you go fast. You're just out there and the horses are just trotting along. But they give you instructions before you go out. They say the first time the horse leans down and tries to take a bite of some little snack that he finds on the trail, you got to pull his head up really like sternly because he's testing you. And if he can get away with a little snack, then he's going to know he's in control. All right, so out we go. And um, my wife Lauren is behind me and our kids are back there too. Uh, well, what happened was Lauren's horse went down for a snack and she thought, well, I'll just let him have this one bite. And she, and she just let him have the bite. And about five minutes later, we hear this noise <laughs> and I turn around and I see that Lauren's horse has left the trail and was walking through the forest because now it saw something that it wanted that was about, you know, 15 feet off the trail and Lauren was like ducking branches and it's hard to ride a horse through the thicket. And this horse is like walking out. And then he comes back onto the trail with like a small tree in his mouth that he had pulled up from the ground. Thankfully, Lauren was okay. But afterwards, she said, man, I should not have let him have that first snack. I should have just yanked him up. It was hilarious. Uh, I think what we see here is we see what's illustrated in this picture. If you want God to direct you, You've got to get the mouth under control, because if the mouth isn't under control, the rest of you will not be under control. Jot this down. If you want God to direct you, if you want to grow spiritually, bridle your mouth. Starts with the mouth. Bridle your mouth. If you feel like your life is galloping wildly out of control, hey, you've got to get your mouth under control first. That's where it begins. The bit is a small thing that controls the big thing. Your mouth is a small thing that controls the rest. That's true. The reason why James picks a small thing to illustrate the tongue is because we can easily underestimate the power of our mouth. We can, we can feel like words are just words. You know, they, they, they're over in a second, but they can change the course of your life. They can impact your heart deeply, even though they're done in a moment. We have to bridle our mouth. If you want God to control your steps, he has to control your lips. Hey, get this. If your lips are out of control, your life is out of control. And God wants to bring that back in. He's pulling the reins. And you can't do this alone. You need God's help. How are you doing with this? Are your words wild and untamed in the way that you talk to your spouse? Is there no restraint to what you'll say? What about your kids? How's your volume? How's your tone? How's your vocabulary? What about at work? Are you the same as the rest of the employees? Do you talk the same way they do, showing no restraint 
Or is there a strong restraining force in your mouth telling you what not to say? Hey, your words prove your faith. If your faith hasn't changed your mouth, it hasn't saved you. You talk the way you've always talked, and there is no change visible in your tongue. You're not saved because God will go to work in that area. He'll change the way you sound, and it happens 100% of the time. Here's a helpful checklist that you can run through as you're about to say something. You can write this down. Helpful checklist is aim to say the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. Just stop and say, am I about to say the right thing? Is it true? Is this the right time to bring this up to my spouse? Okay, am I going to go about this the right way, or am I going to really be on the offensive here? And is my heart right? Like, do I really want to bring this up so that I can calm things down? Or am I just trying to win? Is my heart right? I love what Proverbs 25.15 says. Proverbs 25.15 says, The gentle tongue breaks the bones. Your words are never more powerful than when they're gentle and carefully pitched. Hey, I want to be a teacher. Guard your lips. I want God to direct me. Bridle your mouth. Here's the third one. Jot this down. I want to survive the storm. So in verse 4, James goes on to say this, look at the ships also. So, you know, back in the early church, the ship, going out on a ship would be the biggest vessel they've been in. Right, imagine boarding this boat with all these sails, and there you go, you set sail. That would have been the biggest thing that they've traveled in. Okay, there's no jets, there's no trains, there's no even big old buses back then, so the ship is the big one. And uh, he paints this picture here. He says, look at the ships also, though they are so large, and so they're big, you got to steer this big vessel, hundreds of people on board. And they're driven by strong winds. The wind grabs the sails, takes it. They're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So it's the rudder, it's the small piece at the back of the boat, down in the water, that decides where it goes. And a skillful pilot knows uh, how to direct the ship, even through the storm. But this picture is so rich, again, because... It portrays not just a ship, it portrays a ship in a storm trying to get safely where it's going. And James wants us to know what it's like to survive a trial. And what he's showing you here is what it's like to grow spiritually. I want to survive this storm, and I don't know what in your life right now would be a storm. I don't know what in your life right now would make you feel like you're being thrown back and forth, and you don't know if you're going to make it safely through this, right? But, but like that little rudder, rudder God wants to control your mouth while you're trying to make it safely to the other side because that is one of the key parts of you making it through this. We have a video here of a cruise ship, uh, and there's no audio here. It's just a security camera video, but this cruise ship is in a storm, and it starts to tip in the storm one way, and people are trying to hold themselves up. They're finding pillars and they're bracing themselves. That's a piano in the back there. And, uh, oh, that poor lady isn't having such a good go of it. Now watch the bartenders down at the bottom. They're actually doing okay until this right here. He's holding on to a cash register, and there he goes. Yeah, and now somebody actually grabs onto the piano, and uh, here comes the next. Oh, yeah, you can see down below here in one of the cargo doors all this stuff that's just 
flying around. And uh, now, look, look at the piano in the back. There that goes. He actually grabs onto the piano, hoping to... <laughs> All right. And maybe you feel like that's your life. Maybe you feel like I'm just, just back and forth and back and forth and ships going down. That's the time for God to steer your lips. You have to let him control your tongue. That also shows what it feels like to try and get your tongue under control. There's these strong passions in your heart. There's difficult people around you, pushing you around. It's hard to say the right thing at the right time. But if you want to survive the storm, jot this down, you've got to watch your words. You have to watch your words. Control the bit, control the horse. Control the rudder, control the ship. Control the tongue, control the man or the woman. Just like a small rudder steers a big ship out of harm's way, so your small tongue, steered properly by God, will get you out of harm's way safely. But if you let your tongue break loose, you're a ship adrift. There's no direction. There's not hope that you'll get through it. This is humbling because... Uh, there are so many things we say, right, that are inaccurate or insensitive. Um, I preach every weekend. And so, you know, going on seven years now, there have definitely been times where people have sent me an email, you know, and just been like, hey, I think maybe you didn't know this, but that was insensitive to this group of people. And why well, I respond and say that, thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry about that. Or I'll say things that are inaccurate. People will tell me, do you know you said this? And I'm just like, oops. Uh, even at home. I don't know about you, but my kids are very good at hearing when I say something that's not accurate or true. You know that? Maybe your children are like that too. My kids always remind me of the time that we were praying before dinner, and uh, I accidentally prayed for Grandma Jesus. <laughs> Lord bless Grandma Jesus. <laughs> there went the rest of the prayer time, and they were cackling and laughing. You pray for Grandma Jesus. We don't have a Grandma Jesus. They will never forget that. God has grown me. It helps now that we have two services because first service is my warm-up. I get all my mistakes out first service. For a little while there, we only had one service, and boy, that was a bad, bad era. But now this is like I'm warming up. I've only had one cup of coffee. It's like this doesn't even count. And then the next service, when they come, you know, they'll get the perfected version of the sermon. So thank you for being my lab rats. I really appreciate that. But honestly, God has really grown me uh, every year in this area of words, uh, especially when there's a new conflict or a complaint. You know, in my heart, I go through stages of deliberation. Okay, do I say this? No. Uh, do I say this? No. And, and, and there's these new filters that are installed every year, helping me to get to the best possible response uh, when, when we have to talk through some things. And uh, boy, God has really taught me how to apologize sincerely. Um, God ha has taught me how to ask questions first, patiently waiting to hear the other person. Um, God has really taught me how to accurately describe the other person's feelings before we figure out how we move forward. Uh, I mean, I got to tell you, I have come a long way since I became a Christian back in uh, 97. I've come a long way. And you know, when I look up on the horizon with how God is developing me in this area, I don't even see the finish line yet, all right? 
I don't even see the finish line because so much happens every year to grow me in this. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you feel like God has a long way to go in helping you to perfectly use that, that mouth with all the people in your life. But boy, I want, I want God to teach me this. So I want to be a teacher, guard your lips. I want God to direct me, rattle your mouth. I want to survive the storm. I don't think we've had anybody stand up and say this one yet. I don't think we have. Have we? Roy, stand up and say it. I want to survive the storm. Come on. I want to survive the storm. Tell them. Tame your tongue. tongue. Sit down. Tame your tongue. Getting seasick, Roy? You got problems, Roy? Tame that tongue. Lauren's going to help you this week. All this week, Lauren's going to be like, remember what pastor told you in church? (laughs) Here's the next one, the last one. Write this down. I want to prevent forest fires. He uses this imagery of a horse and then a ship and then a fire. And he says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's showing now a destructive analogy. The first two weren't actually that bad. The horse with the bridle in its mouth seemed like that was working out okay. It's now being directed by the rider. The ship through the storm, right, the pilot was doing a good job getting it wherever he wanted to go. So those are positive illustrations. This is a bad one, though. This is when the tongue goes wild, and it says here, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Wow. I want to prevent forest fires. I want to make sure that I don't scorch my family. I want to make sure that I'm not a a volcano at work. I want to make sure in my church that there's no damage because of my mouth. Can you imagine, how would you react right now if I told you Security just informed us that there is a uh, seventh grade boy in the nursery throwing matches on the carpet. What would you do? Would you take drastic action? Drastic action? Would you expect us to take drastic, immediate action if he was throwing matches on the carpet of our nursery? So how do you respond when someone with their mouth is sparking words in your church on the carpet, are you that drastic and immediate in your response to that? Because we should be. What about in your home? What about in your home when someone is being inflammatory in what they say and and there's a wildfire raging out of control with the words coming out of the lips of one of your children? you take immediate drastic action to douse that and put it out? Or do you start sparking right back and you get your matchbox out? And men in particular, how are you doing at making sure that uh, your home is fireproof? That, that the fires in your home are going out. You're pouring water on them and not gas on them. How are you doing at that, man? How are you doing at being the spiritual leader in your home with the words? I want to prevent forest fires. Remember Smokey the Bear? What did Smokey the Bear say? Only you can prevent forest fires in your home, in your church, at your work. But you got to put the matchbox down. It says how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Just a spark is all it takes 
right? Just a spark. Jot this down. We've got to stop the sparks. We've got to stop them. We've got to stop the sparks. Pick words that cool the fire, that end the conflict, that, that don't escalate things. I'm sure that you can make a list of things that people have said to you that have burned you. I'm sure you could tell me things, maybe decades ago, that people said to you, and there's still a burn mark from those words. You know the pain when someone says something insensitive. We should know better than to let our words fly out like a flamethrower. You've heard about the uh, wildfires in Canada, I hope. Check this out. We've got pictures of the wildfires in Canada. Entire forests on fire. Smoke going up into the air. Here's another picture. Look at that. It's astonishing what has happened. Um, the Mammoth Fire, according to a CNN report, the Mammoth Fire has forced just in one city more than 88,000 people from their homes. Uh, that uh, it's destroyed more than 877,000 acres of land. That's more than four times the size of New York City. Destroyed by the fire. Over 1,700 firefighters are trying to get a grip on the blaze. It started May 1st, and as of last Wednesday, it was 0% contained. 0%. And I just got to ask you, does that describe your home? Is it 0% contained? Are you doing anything to put it out? Does that describe what's coming out of your mouth? 0% contained. 877,000 acres scorched and counting. Boy, if that's the case, if God has never done a serious work to change your tongue, you're probably not even saved. But if you have stories of when God has taught you to rein that in, and you're talking to your wife differently, and you're talking to your kids differently, you're talking to your boss differently, God is wrestling with you over what you're saying. Boy, then there's hope for you. And you're not there yet. Neither am I. You feel like you're on a wild horse. It keeps throwing you off. You feel like you're going through the storm and the ship just tips upside down every now and then. And you're like, why did I say that? Right? And, uh, and you get burned. You can't believe the things that come out of your mouth. But that's all part of the growth process. You want to prevent forest fires, you've got to stop the sparks. Did you write that down? You've got to stop the sparks. Right? Fred, stand up and say it. Fred, say, I want to stop forest fires. I want to stop forest fires. Tell him to tame his tongue. Tame your tongue. Sit down, Fred. Tame your tongue. Tame your tongue. You want to put the fire out, huh, Fred? Your bride's not here today, but I'm going to email her and tell her that Fred is on, he's on watch this week. Every word, we're going to make sure. There's no matches coming out. You want to prevent forest fires in your church, in your marriage, in your family? Stop the sparks! How do we respond to this? How do we respond to what God has for us today in his word? Well, let me give you a challenge here. Let me just challenge you this week to ask yourself, have you scorched anybody with your words recently? I mean, you just, boy, you just let loose, and there was, you let go of the reins, and you just said something you shouldn't have said. I mean, is there someone who you need to apologize to this week because of what you said or how you said it? Let me just challenge you to have the, uh, have the courage to display humility and, and to go to that person and just say, 
boy, I'm sorry. Uh, God is working on me, and um, I'm learning how to say things in love. So I just want you to know I'd do that over, and please forgive me. Will you, will you have that conversation this week? It could be your three-year-old son. I don't know. I mean, just whoever you feel like you burned. Um, and maybe, maybe there's not a name coming to mind. Let me just challenge you then all week long to listen to what you're saying because maybe this week God will tap you on the shoulder at some point and say, that is your moment now. That could have been better. So, so here's your chance to grow. And I want you right now to take that back and to say you're sorry. Let me just challenge you to demonstrate your response to this in one way at some point this week. And God will bless that choice. Let's pray. Father, we know that this is an impossible task.